0: I just remember thinking, man, I really like what I'm doing. I mean, I know in the scriptures it says wickedness never was happiness, but like, I'm pretty happy. That's an interesting way to look at it, but I just remember being like, yeah, this is, this is good. This is fine, I like this. But at the same time, I always knew, I've always known the things that my parents have taught me and the Church of Jesus Christ was actually what was not only good for me, but right.
1: Recently, our Latter-day prophet, President Nelson, warned that in coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the constant influence of the Holy Ghost. He emphasized that we should all be striving to stretch our capacity to hear heavenly direction. I can think of a few inspiring people who seem to have mastered this ability, one of them being my friend, Emma Vigström. However, in her early twenties, she found success in modeling and acting, which at the time seemed much more exciting than going to church. As the years unfolded, Emma began to realize that something was actually missing, and she plucked up the courage to utter a prayer for help. What followed was sweet heavenly inspiration, which led Emma to actively choose God again. In this episode, I chat with Emma to hear more about her journey particularly how she acted on promptings that helped her establish a faith in Jesus Christ. I'm Maddie Sterling, and this is Choosing Faith, a podcast where we talk with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and explore what it's like to live and continuously choose a life of faith in contemporary Australia. Thank you, Emma, for joining. Really happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. So how long have you been a member of the church? Uh,
0: well, technically since I was born. I mean, I'm, I'm
1: yeah, 29 okay. now,
2: so, yeah.
1: And you have a few siblings. Um, you have a pretty fun family, in fact. Were your parents pretty active in the gospel when you were young? Like, do you remember doing family home evenings and stuff like that? Or
0: Yeah, so that is something that they tried really hard to get us on board with, um, pretty much like our whole lives. But I think something I remember is that we would spend every single night together, like hanging out and like essentially having a family at home in the evening. But whenever Mum was like, okay, family home evening, we were just like, no, <laughs> like just like if it's something official, we didn't want to do it. But if it was not official at all, and then someone just threw in some spirituality we like we
2: had no issues with that so
1: how did you feel kind of as you got older were you did you like church as a primary school kid and then i don't know, every i feel like every teenager has their moment of mm, this is really boring
2: <laughs> is <it troubling? laughs>
0: um i don't know i think i i cared a lot more when i was younger yeah i was a little bit more invested in in my spirituality and growing but you know going through my rebellious years I was just like mm-hmm, I think I can get by without without this I I know it's true but you know I can just keep on living the way I want to live it's not going to affect
1: me so that's poor yeah. judgment <laughs> so how old were you when those thoughts kind of started happening
0: I think it was around when I was 19 so I'd finished school um well finished high school I was hanging out with completely different people. Uh, I studied makeup and that's when I kind of like had more friends in fashion and it was like more interesting to focus on that t- than to focus on my spirituality, I guess.
1: Well, I can imagine it was really new and exciting and that's very alluring for, you know, a someone who's just graduated from high school. You're there to explore the world. And- mm mm-hmm find out what your parents didn't teach you yeah
0: so I think that that's like that's a steep slope to take um but you don't know that at the time you're just like oh my parents want to box me in and and make sure that I just know what they know
1: yeah so you studied makeup was Mm -hmm. that um had you gotten into any kind of acting or modeling before that or was that like the gateway for that life
0: I think that was the gateway I mean when I was studying makeup, one of my teachers, she also like as a side gig, I guess she did like extras work. And I was just like, that's interesting. Like the fact that she can go and get 25 bucks an hour for literally just sitting there in the background of uh, like neighbors or home in a way. And
1: 25 bucks is really good when you've just graduated from school. Yes,
0: exactly. Because, you know, you like some people, are, that's like an entry level type of wage for actual careers. So I was just like, oh, that could be a cool way to make a few bucks. It was a nice way to see the way actors worked. And then I was like, you know what? I think I want to study acting. So that's when I started um venturing into that next part of my journey.
1: So did you actually officially study then? You studied acting?
0: Yeah, I studied a part time. So it wasn't um yeah, it wasn't a full-time commitment in that I would go every day and spend time in black clothes doing weird stuff with other kids. It was just like a couple of days a week and then I'd like focus on getting um like acting work or just there's like a couple of websites you can get just like acting work for commercials and things or so just not like mainstream television usually things like music channels and music videos and things that kind of you don't really need specific background in acting
2: to get those kind of Mm -hmm. jobs. But um, if they like your look, for example, then you're more inclined to get work that way.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You, um, I remember when we first met, had this huge Instagram following. I just remember being so impressed that you'd built up this community and you'd built up this look, which was really awesome.
2: Mm.
1: Were there people that reached out to you because of those pictures?
0: Yeah. I mean, something that I found really interesting, I mean, I guess with Instagram is that it's a, it was a completely different stage in, in finding work because, I guess, millennials' experiences that no one else had before in any other generation is that if you had a certain Instagram following or a certain look, um, you're more inclined to get people, like, send you messages and, and be like, hey, can you represent this and this and I'll send you this and this. But, like, mm. back in the day you had to you had to specifically um, find an agent and work out a certain, like, in terms of exercise, you have to make sure that you keep yourself in a specific physical condition, for example. But it was more flexible in that um in this day and age you've just got to kind of have a little bit of a following you've got to make sure people know that um, other people are looking at your work and then
2: that kind of makes you like more likely to receive clients for example so, mm-hmm. so that was interesting
1: so at the same time as your Instagram um, you know community that you' were building up, you also had an agent though right for your acting
0: I did have an agent but bless them I didn't get any work from them all the work that I did get was something that I found independently and that I was allowed to get on my own um so or like through like a modeling agent as well so I had two different agents which was Mm -hmm. kind of a little bit of a conflict of interest but yeah I got way more work from them than I did from my acting agent so that's just the case sometimes
1: yeah. So did you end up just doing more modelling work then by default? Just because that's what kind of was available or?
0: I guess so. I mean, the reality of my short-lived modelling career, so to speak, <laughs> <laughs> was that for the most part it was just collaborations, just like people scratching each other's backs. I think the money that I earned like in the whole time that I did as a model is far less in the few years that I did that
2: than I earned in a few months in acting or voice acting.
1: Wow, interesting. I would have thought yeah. that more money would have gone to modelling just because, I don't know, it seems to be more um, frequent. Yeah, I mean, even the
0: the best paid models, when they do covers of really renowned magazines, they make all that $300, for example, because it's – like everybody's back is still being scratched. Like who do you pay when every single person is a like is the talent? Like the photographer's the talent, the the stylists are the talent, the model's the talent. So who pays who?
2: So Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So
1: was there a lot of pressure? I mean, in terms of you mentioned keeping physically fit, like staying a certain size or Continually making sure that you're waxed. I don't know what were the expectations.
0: Oh my goodness! About waxing, actually, I think I have one of those body types. I mean, I don't think I know, but it just gets like, <laughs> super hairy really quickly. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm certain. I'm pretty sure I like shaved my entire entire body, like from my forehead to like <laughs> my toe, like aside from my eyebrows and the hair on my head. I was always like just shaving yeah it was it was crazy but yeah in terms of like physical fitness and appearance it was there was pressure, but not as much i think because one, I wasn't with uh, the more prominent agents, and so I think that wasn't as monitored, and at the same time, I had this like specific look at the time that people were interested in or I had instagram um those kind of people. So it didn't matter as much to be a specific look as it would have meant in, in the 90s to be five foot 11 and
2: just like next level thin. Just, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but like the. Uh, so that was the good. power decades where they were in their blazers, but they're also borderline anorexic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that was really in fashion. But now I realize that it's it's in fashion to not be,
2: so that's cool. Good, <laughs> for the world. yeah, because I like food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you.
1: Were you able to mentally separate yourself as well from maybe like the industry expectations and what you wanted for yourself, or did you get sucked in a bit? Because I feel like if I was in that world, I'd just be constantly comparing myself to everyone.
2: Yeah,
0: I, like I think. I did get sucked in a bit. I think I got in a little bit over my head in that I thought what what, what I was doing was a little bit more important than like my own personal growth, for example. And mm-hmm. so um yeah, I spent a lot of my time um making sure that I guess I would fit some specific standard in, in that part of the world, um and not really focus on the things I knew to be true or things that I knew that I wanted to actually have. I mean, speaking from a faith perspective, I've always known that I wanted to get married in the temple, not just get married in the temple, but have an eternal marriage, which is kind of, I think the difference, um, and that we can always aim to, to have a, a certain ceremony in a beautiful place in a holy place. But, um, it's not meaningful at the end if we're not going to strive to maintain that, in know.
2: In Continually.
0: A, exactly, in an eternal way. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I always knew I wanted that, but I wasn't doing what I should have been doing in order to achieve that. So,
1: no, Yeah. Was there a strong, I don't know, drug or party culture within that industry? Were you Um, able to kind of opt out if you didn't want to be there?
0: Yeah, I mean, there was. It was really kind of just the norm, I think, to party and to take drugs and things like that. I actually didn't get involved in that part of it, which I'm really grateful for. I mean, I did attend parties and I was around that, but I don't know, there was a part of me that was just like, I'm never, ever, ever going to touch alcohol or drugs. but. Yeah, it was a little bit disheartening because it was a lot of really young girls that were very, very impressionable and didn't really have any friends until they started modelling, for example, and then Mm -hmm. that's when they really got into heavy partying and drugs and, like, everything that comes with that. So I don't know where they are now, but hopefully they've uh, moved on as well. and. Started. It is
1: really difficult, I think, for people who don't have some kind of external community from school. If you're not going to uni and you've left school, like how do you meet people and how do you support yourself through the next decade of your life when you've got to make so many difficult decisions? Yeah. We're really lucky to have um just an instant community. Yeah, I agree. So how long were you in the modelling acting industry for and was there a, a transition time when you decided to focus a bit more on church? Or um, I think I
0: was in that like scene for about three years probably, max four. Mm-hmm. It was a really interesting time of my life because I'd finally moved out of home and I was just like, cool, I can just do whatever I want. Like it was just really um, a, di- a self-discovery time, one can say. But um, yeah, I was, I was 24 and I was like doing some things that I'd never let myself do earlier on in my life. And I just remember thinking, man, I really like what I'm doing. I mean, I know in the scriptures it says wickedness never was happiness, but like, I'm pretty chill. Like I'm pretty happy. <laughs> I'm pretty like, happy. And I know that, that, I mean, that's an interesting way to look at it, but I just remember being like, yeah, this is, this is good, this is fine, I like this. But at the same time, I always knew, like I've always known the things that my parents have taught me and the Church of Jesus Christ was actually what was not only good for me, but right. And so I had to kind of have a battle within myself. It's like, okay, this is is the time in where I choose which path to take. And I don't know how how I got to this point because when you're kind of doing the wrong things, you you're not really focusing on whether or not you're going to pray. Because I wasn't doing that for a period of time, but um, somehow somehow I I was able to get on my knees and say, look, I I like what I'm doing. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm not unhappy with my life.
2: But I know it's wrong, so God, <laughs> would you help me um, want to change? And I think sometimes it's the best thing to just have an on-
0: honest conversation um, with our heavenly Father. And not—you <clears throat> don't have to hide. You don't have to hide who you are and what your feelings are because He knows you, and so. I was able to be really, really blunt and say, look, I like these things I'm doing. Um, help me to not want to do them anymore. And prayer works because <laughs> somehow it, it, it got me changing.
1: <laughs> That's a brave prayer. Yeah, I don't
2: know <laughs> why it happened. I really don't.
1: <laughs> but I, I do like that you prayed um, for the desire to change.
0: Yeah, I just don't think I had the strength to change. I didn't, I mean, I didn't want to. So I was just like, oh, well, <laughs> try the next
2: best thing. Pray for a desire.
1: No, and I think mean, so, that's really wise. Hmm. I have prayed not really wanting to hear the answer. Mm-hmm. And they're really scary prayers.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So after that, what did it actually look like for you? to focus more on God did you just start praying a bit more and
0: okay so i was living in surrey hills and there were like two to, i think you can choose from three wards uh, if i'm not mistaken you can choose between three wards as to which one you're the most comfortable with there's and so for me i was just like oh this is chill because whatever ward i don't go to the other wards will think that i'm attending the other wards so it was kind <laughs> of a really great Um, ploy but um, I had this missionary friend that was in the South Harbour Ward and yeah she and her companion just worked really hard on being my friend and spending time with me and not being not being a for in a forged relationship or a friendship that I that a lot of people kind of like I know that missionaries are doing the right thing and caring and they really do care but sometimes it's a little bit harder because it's not something they've ever done in their life before—is to friend, befriend a stranger who's not so much coming to church and doing the things that they should be doing. So, um, yeah, that's when you're a
1: missionary, you clearly have an agenda. Not yeah. that it should feel that way, but no. it, it kind of is. <laughs>
0: but, yeah, but some people feel that it is, and they're like, "Oh, the missionaries yeah. are calling me again. It's because I'm not going to church, but it's because." it's it's really difficult to convince someone that you actually care when it is your job to care so um, yeah so this missionary <laughs> companion spent a lot of time um, inviting me to come to to meetings with the new investigators and um, people who were less active in the church and and i just really took a liking to them and and it started with an encouragement of um, reading the Book of Mormon, um, to really set, as- set aside some time daily to be able to read the Book of Mormon and to also pray about the Book of Mormon to um, to see if it was the truth. And it's something, even if we know if something's true, sometimes you just need to be reminded. Um, and, it, yeah, I guess it just started from there and it just grew and flourished, which was really cool. And I'm still friends with that missionary Today, she came to my wedding. Uh, now she lives in, in Europe as well. So that so was pretty cool.
1: I remember her. She was really lovely. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> she's like the best. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Most eligible bachelorette, I would say. Most
2: eligible.
1: <laughs> there was um, obviously, you know, you had a really good friendship with them and they kind of set you on a spiritual path. But was it their influence that led you to think about being a missionary yourself?
2: Um,
0: I think it was a lot of personal experiences, but something that I found really interesting was I lived in this building with people who had gone through through a lot of problems. So, like, part of the building was just, I would say, just people who want to pay a little bit less to live in the city and another part of the building was people who had gone through Um, certain situations like perhaps drugs in their life and so I I made a lot of friends around the area because they were all actually really really lovely and um, I was friends with one guy in particular and he started asking about the church and and it was just really interesting to me because I was I was like in the middle of doing my like book of Mormon studies like I was just like this is so cool like I'd come home and I'd be like, oh, I can, I can smash out two hours, maybe three hours of the Book of Mormon today because I was, like, getting so oh, wow. I was like, this book is amazing. I mean, I've always had it, but why is it so amazing now? <laughs> and I remember him, like, asking me or, like, asking me if I can tell him more about the church. And I remember in the back of my head being like, oh, I've just got so much reading to do today. I don't have time to talk about this. <laughs> like, I just <laughs> want to go in and read my Book of Mormon. But then, <laughs> <laughs> then something switched in my head. I was like, "That defeats the purpose." Isn't it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have been reading agenda, and it's only me who's allowed to learn about the truth. So, and
1: you're reading all these missionary chapters <laughs> where Alma and Amulek are, like are preaching the word of God. <laughs> <you're> like, sorry, <laughs> God. To... Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So, I mean, it's good because there's just part of me who's like no 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 like this is an opportunity as a result of your reading like don't go upstairs and just like continue in your little burrow reading your favorite book this is (laughs) this is the time to actually do something about it and so he really he was a really good influence on me as well in um in that I was able to see a person um because he was really interested in in the church and and growing in the gospel and so I was able to see him from ground zero to having the most shining testimony ever, to to joining the church and being able to share his testimony with other people um, was a real strengthener for me. And so that was another another part in in what made me want want to be able to do that <clears throat> at least full time for for eighteen months.
1: What a precious experience. And to have that even before you became a missionary, knowing that the principles work, that there are people out there who are yearning for a bit of or a greater purpose in life and mm-hmm. and that people do really find God because um, it can be disheartening as a missionary. If you're mm-hmm. just seeing rejection after rejection, but you kind of already had that experience to go off.
0: Yeah, it was, it was I would consider him my – my first investigator it was yeah it was just the most incredible experience because i'd never I'd never seen the light through through someone else's eyes um, just just take over and I was it was me- mesmerizing to to see that in another person, and I wanted that for myself
1: so then you got your call to Sweden. How did you feel knowing that you know you have Swedish heritage because your mom is she was she born in Sweden
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah she was born in wow. Sweden mm. she was born where i live now so this, oh very this, cool yeah i really i mean i really wanted to go to sweden but i was like okay i'll just be open to anything but um actually before i decided to submit papers because you know i was a little bit older in terms of missionary age it was i was 24 and so, you know, missionaries are usually not, uh, 18, 19 um, when they go out. With, there's no issue going a little bit later or whatever. But um, I was just like, this is interesting. Like I'm a little bit older, so I don't know if that's like, uh, is that going to be socially acceptable in the church to go oh, no. <laughs> 24? <laughs> but um, but I was, the, what actually got me to submit my papers was, was actually a dream that I had. I was. It was. I guess in the the midst of a time where I was really learning about the Book of Mormon and and learning about the missionaries in in the book, and I had this dream where I was opening up this envelope, and it said, "Um, Sister Wilson, you are hereby called to serve as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints." Dot. 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 Um, and I knew in that dream that I was going to serve somewhere in Europe and that I was going to go out um, at the end of the year, that I was going to wait a couple of months before I went Mm -hmm. to go out. And so after that dream, I was just like, you know what, cool. Like, I mean, I've only had so many dreams that really affected me in a way in which I would act upon it because it didn't feel like something that I would have just made up in my head. It really felt like it was something that had come to me and so I was just like, no, nah, that's where I'm going. That's that's where I'm going. I've decided. <laughs> and so it was really cool and really humbling to see, see the word
2: Sweden on that fateful piece of paper. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah, it is beautiful to see so many missionaries getting called to their Um, you know, the land of their ancestors. Yeah, I felt a connection when I got called to England as well just because I have so much family history from there and it certainly made me appreciate um, every moment of being in that country. You look at it from a a different lens, I think, Mm -hmm. a much more spiritual lens.
0: Yeah, you see it as your family, you know, like this is my family. I want to bring my family um, back to the fold. You you see it in a completely different way, I think. I just don't know if I would have been able to do it the way that I did it if I'd been in another country because here I was just like, this is where
2: like these people are related to me. Like this is my blood. So it's mm. really special.
1: I'm sure we could talk about your mission for hours. So I might just narrow it down to one question, which is what's the one thing that you really loved about it and that you missed when you came back to Australia?
2: Hmm. The
0: two things that I I thought I did not want and did not love before I went on my mission was one, Americans. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, I, uh, like before leaving on my mission, I was so adamant. I was like, I'm never going to get sucked into Americans. Like I'm never going to be friends with Americans. Because so I was like, they're just so positive and they smile all the time. I can't deal with it. <laughs> so <laughs> I
2: was
0: just like, they're annoying. But um, I think that that's one thing that really, really changed, I think changed my soul in a lot of ways was being around American people because they, I guess they have a culture of being positive uh, being positive and... Go-getters. Yeah, they're that's really part of the like their personality (laughs) of the culture. When I spent time with these Americans, I was like, it changed something. They made me want to like smile more and be like a little bit more open to other people as opposed to a little bit of a sarcastic Australian. Yeah. So Americans. And the second thing was companionship. I think because I've always really liked being alone, um, I'd say that, like there was never it wasn't loneliness but it was solitude for me it was being alone was just like this is me in my zone that's why I'm of a a night owl I like to stay up late because it's kind of like you get this piece of the world to yourself because everyone's asleep Mm -hmm. and you can just like do whatever you want and so that's one thing I learned was that you you can do so much more with the right person than you can on your own
1: and it is definitely overwhelming at first and i remember feeling stifled <laughs> but definitely that's what i miss as well coming home and realizing it just no one's here with me all the time to appreciate this moment or look at that funny man who <laughs> like dropped his burrito like i can't laugh <laughs> with <anyone> about this <laughs> um and yeah it, it's really beautiful having somebody that you, you work through hard challenges together with i agree well, you do have a companion now, a permanent one, not going to be transferred out anytime soon. How did that happen? so because you, after your mission, you moved back to Australia. How long were you home for?:
0: Um, I think I was home for about two no, it could have been three years. Yeah, I was home for three years. I was in Sydney for two years, then I moved to Melbourne for a year. Yeah, at the end of my time in Melbourne, I came to Sweden in this area where my mom's from, which was also the second area I served in. But, um, yeah, it's interesting because when we were, like, when I was on the mission and he was in this ward, like, it's not like we had a a bond or a connection or or anything. I mean, he was um, assistant ward mission leader. So he was there all the time, but I just don't ever remember noticing him like that. I mean, yeah, (laughs) he
2: was just a guy.
1: So he's Swedish by birth, like he was born there, and, mm-hmm. yeah
0: awesome. yeah, so all of his family's from Sweden, so he's a full Swede
2: <laughs>
1: Well, I love this story, and you shared a little bit um online and kind of written out your story. I love the story of how you were inspired to move back to Sweden in the first place.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean that was that was a really cool time in my life as well. Um I was visiting the US at the time actually. And I was going I, I was living in Melbourne, visiting the US, but I was going through some pretty like rough it was like a rough period. I was like, ah, I don't know what's happening. Like I'm not dating anyone. I don't really care. I don't know where I'm meant to be and what I'm meant to do next. But I was talking to a friend who also served in the mission and we were just going over, like, you know, what should I do next? What's my next plan of action? Um, and then we were just like, okay, so maybe it's time that that I pray about it. And so he left um, after we were speaking and I decided, okay, so maybe I need to um, do some reading of my scriptures and, and pray about this. I mean, prayer is just like something so – it sounds so simple to turn to, but – it's just one of those things that I feel like even if we do it on a regular basis sometimes we're reminded of how powerful it is when when it's a time in which we really really need it the most. And so mm-hmm. I had because I was traveling and everything, I really like to read physical pages um of my scriptures. I think that that kind of brings a little bit more tangibility to the words that I'm reading. And so my Swedish scriptures—it doesn't have the Bible with it, um, because we don't have a standardized, uh, like a church edition of the Bible in Swedish. So it's a completely different book. A few people d- read different versions of the Bible in Swedish. So I mm-hmm. had a smaller set of scriptures, and so I was like, "Oh, I'll bring my sweet my Swedish scriptures, and that's what what I'll read when I'm over in the U.S." And um, so I was just like, "Okay." So I just sat there. And decided to to read my scriptures, and I decided, okay, I should I should pray about what's going on in my life, what's going on in my head, and then this overwhelming feel feeling came over me. It was just like, make sure you make sure you pray in Swedish. I know you like to pray in Swedish for the most part, but this is it's really important that you do pray
2: in Swedish. And so I was uh, kneeling to pray. Um, I was talking to my Father in heaven, and um when I opened my eyes
0: after praying, I looked at the bedside table of the the house that I was staying at, and it had this there sat my my Swedish scriptures um next to this i guess um you know like maccas toys they they have the place called Mac's here, and it's uh, like a fast food restaurant, but I had mm-hmm. like um for some reason I had this pencil case from Max here from like a kid's meal. And I just looked and I was like, those are those are Swedish things and this is like this is my language. This is a place I'm meant to be. And I just had this picture in my mind of the chapel in Helsingborg, which is where I live now, and I was just like, that's where I'm meant to move to. That's okay. Cool, and it was the only place that it was actually sunny on my mission because it's lowest <laughs> freedom, so.
2: and So, so I was
0: just like, "Wow, this is this is the only like only sunny picture I have in my head is in Helsingborg from my entire mission because like the rest of my mission was beautiful and great, but it was all kind of a little bit darker or snowy. But down mm-hmm. down here in scorner or down here in in the county, um, it's we don't really get snow, so. I was like, cool, dope. I think I'll just move there. Like,
1: I can do sun. Yeah,
0: like especially for an Australian, I was just like, I don't know if I could move up north where they get two-hour days or the whole day in winter is just completely dark. Like I just, nah.
1: I don't even know how you served there, but good on you. <laughs> yeah, no, nah. I struggled with no sun. Oh, man, it was hard. Yeah, crazy. So you—that uh, is amazing. So you had this just cl- really clear picture, and you thought, All "Right, I'll do it." Was there any fear at that point about moving, or just it just felt logical? And um, you were like, "Yeah, I'll go. yeah." It just felt logical. I mean, no, I didn't. Ha- I think
0: when you know that something's better than what you have, it's not something to fear. I I knew for a fact, like I knew for a fact that living where i am now is like it was like no offense to melbourne but like it was kind of just dreary to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was maybe compared to sydney it was just uh, maybe it was the darkest i think it was like the darkest or rainiest year for a while in melbourne and so Uh my like my whole perception of melbourne was just like darkness and like overcast skies and when i think of When I thought of Sweden or where I was serving, because it was summer at the time as well, I was just like, oh, green fields, blue skies, sun. I was (laughs) like, yeah, that's mad. I'm moving. (laughs) So I didn't It wasn't anything to worry about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you moved there, and I'm assuming it wasn't long before you started hanging out with your now husband.
0: Yes. Crazy, because I just didn't think of it that way. I was just like, yeah, I'll move to Sweden. And, um, yeah, my husband, his name's Simon. I was like, yeah, Simon's in the ward. Um, yeah, chill, he's a good guy. So I'll go I'll go to Festinoir. I'll I'll meet as many people as possible, maybe start dating someone, yeah, that'd be cool. Like I just didn't he was just like not on my radar at all. And mm-hmm. I love it because it's just like so typical that my best friend that I've ever met just happens happens to be where God sent me, like it just mm-hmm. makes the most sense, but I just didn't see him like that. It was just like, oh yeah, God's just sending me back to Helsingborg so I can go back to live where my mom's from, and it'll be chill. But he had better, better plans for me.
1: Yeah. So did you guys just start hanging out as friends, and then you're like, wait a minute, you're actually really cool? And uh... yeah, pretty much. I
0: think because he's the only, I guess the only male kind of active in like the 20s age group um, wow
1: in this ward so people in Australia complain about the dating pool but one person that's I crazy. know right
0: that's the thing like I just it's so stereotypical it's like oh well you were in the same ward as someone and they were the only one so but that's the thing there are so many people in the world if I really wanted to like expand I would download mutual I mean I did for a while like but I don't know. God just knew that if I'd moved to the right place with the right person in it and we get to know each other, then, then that's the way it was going to go. Yeah. So we just started hanging out and it was just more like YSA activities. Like he was the YSA rep. And, um, I think I was, Oh no, I wasn't yet, but he was just like, Oh, let's have like a pizza night or something. And like, so I organized a pizza night at my house and, only it was only him and I and like like my fourteen year old young woman like it was like oh. three of us, <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, cool hang, but like I was just like, oh, he's kind of cute. Like I just never like looked at him like that. I was just like, it's just him. But now I was like, ah, huh. like no, don't leave. Like yeah, you can stick around for a bit. Like <laughs> pizza and movies, but yeah. So we just hung out more and more and I was and then he'd start like messaging me to be like, Oh, do you need a ride at this place? Blah blah blah. Like, do you need a ride to institute or this like ward activity? I was like, Yes. <laughs> like and so it kind of became our time to talk in the car and and yeah, it was just really it was just really natural. I never felt like I had to hide anything from him or be cooler than I really am so I was just like this is like this feels so good and feels so right and then yeah then he asked me out and I was like sure
1: (laughs) okay (laughs) wow and now you're married and you guys got married in the temple the photos were beautiful Mm -hmm. I'm just you're really happy that even though there was a couple of years in your early 20s felt like a bit of a struggle that you obviously just had the courage to follow promptings and, and you did it. You went on your mission and you moved to Sweden and now life sounds like it's kind of better than ever, but um I guess looking back on let's say like the last decade, what what do you think were the main takeaways from it? Like what have you learned?
2: In the last decade. That it's the the little things that we learnt as children that affect our lives
0: the greatest as adults we learn primary songs we know to to listen to uplifting music we learn how to pray we learn how to read words of prophets living and those who have passed and I think it's the, the things that we learn as children are the things that are really going to affect our lives the, the greatest as adults.
1: Well, that's that's my takeaway. Oh, thank you. That's really beautiful.
2: Um,
1: just a final question for you and then I think we should wrap it up. The title of this podcast is called Choosing Faith and mm-hmm. I think it's an apt description for you know just reflecting how difficult it can be. To follow God in a contemporary society, and to to listen out for those promptings. So, what does choosing faith look like to you?
2: Hmm. Choosing faith looks like um, a specific decision made on a daily basis. So, it is it is really just that to making a conscious effort to to be
0: faithful and to follow god because in 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 this day and age like like you're saying it's not something that we can just fall into the world and and our faith are so different from one another now that it's important to make a specific and conscious effort to have faith and to be faithful
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope Emma's simple stories about prayer and revelation have reminded you, as they did for me, of the power that can come when we take a moment to listen out to the things that God might be trying to tell us. As always, if you have a friend or family member whose story you'd like to hear on this show, get in touch with me via the Choosing Faith podcast pages on Facebook or Instagram. See you next time.